Hello and welcome to another episode of RTAF Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Norris. This week we've got the incredible Andrew Davis as a guest on the podcast. Andrew is a painter who creates amazing paintings and has a solo show coming up this week on May 15th at Ryan Joseph Gallery here in Denver, Colorado. Be sure to check that out. I'll put links in the description to the event page where you can get all the necessary info. He's excited. I'm excited. You're excited. And on this episode, we talk about Andrew's history of growing up in Virginia, driving out of art school, some former jobs he had, and how mental health influenced his decision to become a full-time artist. We also go in-depth on several of his paintings and their meanings and motifs. Patreon subscribers will see what we're talking about in the video version. And if you're interested in supporting the podcast, please head on over to patreon.com slash podcast. Link in the, the description and on whatever social media posts you will find about this episode. I need your support. No lie, no cap, as they say. So if you want to give it, head on over there. It's $4 to $16 a month. There's three tiers. You get a video regardless of what tier you're subscribing to. And there are other benefits like merch and guest suggestions and special little posts that I throw in there. Anyway, this episode's really great. Uh, Just a quick note, the first 26 minutes of this episode, I only got the Zoom recording. So my audio is a little computer laptop microphone kind of thing going on. But at around 26 minutes, kick in with the microphone, this very microphone that you're listening to now. So I just wanted to give you a heads up. Anyway, enjoy this episode. Andrew Davis, welcome. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Sweet. So usually, uh, I usually start these interviews off kind of getting the person's backstory, getting the artist's backstory or what led them to creating art. Um, But I want to put it in the context to go like as far back as like, like childhood if possible. Um, so one question I found useful is, uh, you know, what was your childhood like? Were you, were you a weird kid? (laughs) I was definitely, uh, weird and I guess a normal kind of way. Um, I grew up in, uh, Virginia in rural Virginia. Um, originally I'm from a town that's about 25,000 people. Um, and it's been that way for years. There's not a lot of change. There's not a lot of new things that happen there. Um, and I think when I was really young, I could feel the boundaries that were kind of established in that area and that community. 
And as a younger person, I was always like testing those boundaries just to see what was acceptable and what wasn't. And uh, so that came with a lot of like style changes, hair changes, uh, you know, idea changes, political mindsets, just religious ideas, everything. I was just testing everything just to see uh, what was uh, considered normal or acceptable or anything like that. You know, and I think that that's definitely one of the things that fed my creativity when I was younger was testing all those boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Like the concept of boundaries to be tested is definitely, I feel like that's the hardest job in kind of a way. And, yeah. and even, even like looking to your work, like a lot of what I see in your work is boundary dissolving and, uh, there's no clear delineation in a good way, in a very like creative, like fun way. Yeah. Uh, and that's interesting. Like I didn't grow up in a super small town, but it was like, it's like medium sized, but it was in, in Kentucky very probably kind of the same flavor of gentility or you know I what think i mean so. yeah <laughs> and and uh yeah i had a little bit different path but um i, I it was just so nor like normal to the point that it was that it just like boggled my mind you know yeah <laughs> it just got yeah. like frustrating it's like everything's just so average and normal or whatever. So, uh, I guess that's a long winded way of saying, I feel you. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely the, the fuel. Cause, uh, when you see a lot of people generally acting in a similar fashion, you just kind of have to wonder why, you know, especially the more that you learn about the world and different cultures and things. Um, it makes you question, well, why do they act that way? And everybody that I know acts this way. And I think, you know, the more creative you are, the more likely you are to start blending those boundaries and um, adopting new things that normally you wouldn't have the chance to. Totally. You know? So um, you kind of answered this question, but was, is there anything more specific that attracted you to making art or making paintings in the first place? Uh, not particularly. I think when I was in high school was when I first started to take it kind of seriously. Um, and I think a lot of that is because I didn't really feel like doing anything else. <laughs> it seemed like the, the, the area where I could be the most free with my thoughts and my time and, you know, what I, what I wanted to do. Um, I, I I think uh, I just didn't feel like doing anything else, and I I took it more seriously when I realized that I could uh, kind of combine it with other hobbies and passions that I had. Like when I was in high school, uh, the Lord of the Rings came out, and I was a huge huge fantasy nerd at the time. And, uh, I remember watching the, I had like the extended collection and in the, like the extras, they had, uh, this one video that was about concept art. And 
that's when a light kind of went off and I was like, what? You can make a living drawing elves and dwarves and shit like that. And uh, I think that's really what set it off. And I started going on a search for uh, ways to learn concept art. And um, I actually ended up spending a lot of time on a place called conceptart.org. Oh, nice. Uh, come to find out years later, I, I met uh, Android Jones at Threda, I think like a year and a half ago. And I was tell when I was first introduced to his work on conceptart.org way back in the day. And it just kind of clicked in my head because I was talking to him about it. He's like, oh, I created that website. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It blew my mind that in, in some sort of like secondary way, he launched my creative endeavors purely just by putting that out there and letting people join. Uh, which was really cool. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's a cool example of like just this complete circle of cause and effect. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like poetry. I love when things like that happen in life, when things yeah. click. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. That It just always blows my mind to think like if certain events hadn't happened the exact way that they did happen, then X, Y, and Z would be even a reality, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so did you go to school for art or I did. any formal yeah. school? Uh, after I graduated from high school, I actually took a year off because, you know, still, I, I had that kind of interest in art, but it, it wasn't like set concretely yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know if I really wanted to, try and go for it because you know when you read all the statistics you're more you're way more likely to fail than you ever are to succeed and when you have to weigh that and then also possibly tens of thousands of dollars on the on the other end uh it's a really difficult decision to finalize in your mind so i took a year off and kind of hitchhiked and i hiked part of the appalachian trail for a while and I uh, started landscaping. Um, I worked in a landscaping job for about 10 years of my life. Um, and then after a year of all that, it just got, well, it's like, what else am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> am I just going to wander around, you know, like a cloud or am I going <laughs> to focus on something and try and make something of it? So I ended up going to Virginia Commonwealth university in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I originally went for uh, communication arts, which is essentially their way of saying illustration. Um, it's like illustration, borderline graphic design. So I attended that for about two years and then ended up dropping out. Uh, you know, at, at some point I felt like I had had enough and got everything I needed and, you know, just dipset from that. <laughs> nice. Um, so did you ever end up going back or finishing it or you just, you just got what you needed and you were like, all right, peace. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. that was it. That was it for me. I remember when I decided I was going to quit too, because I was taking a, one of the courses, I forget what exactly it was. Um, we had to do a lot of sketchbooking and stuff. And uh, the teacher would ask us to 
fill up like 15 pages every week. And we had to have like three different sketchbooks at the time. And I remember he was looking through everybody's sketchbooks at the front of the class. And at one point he just angrily put one of them down and he said, you know, you guys don't have to be here if you don't want to be here. And then, you know, like we were saying earlier, that's when it clicked. Yeah. It just clicked <laughs> in my head. I was like, oh yeah, you're right. I you're don't like, want to be here. Yeah. And so I got up and I left the class and then I never went to class again. Wow. That was the end of it. Wow. Nice. Also, I just wanted to say before we kind of move, move on from this subject, like, I think it's so wise that you took a year off. Um, I was kind of like sort of rushed to, or pressured into to college by, you know, my family more or yeah. less. And that was back when like, there was still some sort of illusion that like college was completely necessary for your, you know, your financial uh, independence as an adult. Mm -hmm. um, and, but yeah, I just think that it would be so cool that if this were just more of a regular thing to take like a year, maybe even two years off before making like a huge decision like that. Yeah. And I think that's the normal cases in uh, some places. Like I think in Europe, it's mm -hmm. pretty normalized that people take a year off uh, before they decide to jump right in. Because I mean, you know, at 18, you're still kind of a kid for the most part. Still, I mean, you don't know yeah shit from shit for the most part <laughs> um yeah so i think it definitely makes sense to take your time before you make a huge decision like that even though yeah. I, I literally just said the other day that i or earlier that you know i got up and left class at the drop of a hat and never went back but you know it's easier to do that than to start it for sure as with most yeah. things mm -hmm. yeah and sometimes things just come together like that things just do click like that and you know when it happens you know like yeah like if college isn't clicking or whatever it is it just isn't clicking like that then you might want to wait or just like see what happens yeah yeah th thankfully i had uh i have pretty accepting parents um when i told them i'd didn't want to go to college right away. They were okay with it, completely supporting that. Nice. Uh, when I told them I wanted to quit, they were okay with that. And <laughs> they, kind of, they kind of allowed me to screw up or to succeed in the ways that were, that kind of fit what I was doing. Um, it helps that I have two brothers that came before and they kind of got on more successful paths. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They paved the way a little bit. They're like, much oh, pressure. he'll figure it out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We've already got two. We already got two that worked out. You know, the third one's just extra. Yeah. <laughs> bonus, bonus kid. Well, yeah, I want to uh, pivot here just a little bit and, and talk about your work. Um, I think I have these photos you sent me pulled up here. So, yeah. Um, let's see. We've got. Yeah. So anyway, I, I kind of want to just uh, talk about the the process first uh, of how you make work. Um, and I see a lot of kind of like references to art history, maybe in your work. Yeah. Um, 
So I guess my question about your process specifically is uh, when you sit down to make a painting, do you, do you have any sort of like ideas in mind um, beforehand or are you just kind of free flowing and then pulling from, from what you know or, or maybe what you've seen? Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a combination of the two. Um, nice. Early on, it was definitely a, a go with the flow type of thing. Um, it was, you know, mainly just exploring my imagination, you know, exploring the moment uh, when something hit, then you kind of record that and put that down. Uh, and over time, uh, as I was making more and more paintings, you know, not not every time when you work with the process of the flow, will it really uh, work, you know, some, yeah. you, you have good days, you have bad days and on the bad days when it's not working, it's, you know, it can be, <laughs> make things tedious, you know? Yeah. yeah so well, over, go for it. So over time, I just kind of started to realize that I needed to make things more concrete so that on the days when I wasn't feeling as focused, I could really just not mindlessly go ahead, but I could trudge forward. And, you know, I had a goal in mind that I could get to instead of, you know, just sitting there wondering what my goal was. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super important. Um, I've learned more or less the same thing uh, in, in making paintings and even like, like with the podcast, like just having a roadmap of, it doesn't have to be a particular pinpoint destination, but just, just having something to, to guide you along the path when you're creating something, whether it's uh, a motif or, or just questions uh, yeah. in, in terms of the podcast. I used to just go into it and just be like, ah, oh, we'll just have a conversation. Sometimes the awkward moments are too awkward. Uh, yeah like i can handle a certain level of awkwardness i you know we're artists we you know yeah plenty awkward (laughs) plenty awkward but yeah i've i have i've found i've found that just having something to yeah like this skull here are you you are seeing that right you're seeing your your own work Uh, actually i'm not you're not whatever Ah, um let's see And this is where I'm learning. <laughs> Let's see. This, this is my uh, growth edge here, as they say. Uh, let's see. I'll stop share. Okay. Now I'm back. Let's advance sharing options. Okay. Um, Let's see. What about now? Is that? Hey, yeah, I can see it now. Okay, sweet. And so, um, so this one's called uh, Webster. Webster yeah. four. Yeah. Um, uh, this one. This one started with like. Uh, well, the inspiration was from a T.S. Eliot poem mm-hmm. called "Whispers of Immortality," and Webster is a, uh, I think, a playwright 
that T.S. Eliot was referencing in it. And basically, the poem is about, or partly about his obsession with death. Uh, one of those being essentially planted in the ground after you die, and then mm-hmm. having daffodil bulbs growing like through your skull and out of the mm-hmm. ground. Um, so that that was the in- main inspiration for for this painting. Yeah. Oh. Um, okay. Okay. So this is Saint Anthony's fire, right? Yeah. Like, um, um, so I looked up uh, Saint Anthony's fire because I was curious as to like where that came from, and I found out about the the ergot fungus infection people would get yeah. um, from from eating like just bad rye bread back in the day. Yeah. And so is that Saint Anthony there? Yeah. The, the the reference is uh or the painting reference I used was a Rembrandt painting. Um nice. but the the idea was that it would be somebody going through Saint Anthony's fire. Um and Saint Saint Anthony was a well, a saint. Um <laughs> and there the story goes that he went on essentially sabbatical, became a hermit, living in a you know shack out in the middle of the woods and him being poor and not having that much to eat he kind of had to scrounge up whatever he could uh there's actually a great uh novel about it from flaubert um where the thing that he has to eat is this old black moldy bread and so at the beginning of the day he takes a few bites of the bread and over the course of the day he starts succumbing to the psychedelic nature of the ergot and the path it's similar to like Dante's Inferno or the divine comedy where he kind of descends into um, hell for better yeah. or for worse. And he travels through and then ultimately comes in contact with uh, various memories from his past uh, hallucinations of people that he knows Um and then he ends up having a conversation with God and then the various gods, all the gods, and then ultimately the universe itself. And then at the end, he starts coming back down to his real life and, you know, kind of reflecting on everything that happened. Uh, I always thought that was a, a really interesting, like magical spiritual journey or the story of it, at least. Uh, it, it has everything in it. It has every yeah. theme. It has every, you know, human element that you can possibly think of. Uh, and in a lot of psychedelic experiences, I feel like, you know, the, those are things that can crop their heads up every once in a while, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the, and I guess for uh, to give a little context in case somehow um, any of my listeners don't know about ergot it's it's basically the what would you say it's like the one of the natural building blocks in synthesizing lsd right yeah good i I think though it was originally what hoffman used to synthesize lsd too yeah um yeah so that's the precursor it is it you know hasn't it been implicated in um like this, the Salem witch trials, like people were eating ergotized bread and, you know, seeing a woman cross 
the street in this psychedelic state or whatever and thinking she was walking funny and then going into their minds and you know with the the christian ideology embedded in there being yeah. like oh she's a witch she's yeah. a witch <laughs> i can believe that i mean honestly that's the only way that makes sense <laughs> right yeah maybe if they would have eaten a little more they would have you know had had some saint anthony experiences yeah god would have come down and been like whoa 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 <laughs> time which is real come on get it together <laughs> um yeah so yeah i really love this painting man uh it looks like you're using maybe some palette knife in there um yeah a little bit of everything mm -hmm. um brushwork palette knives paper towels using my fingers smearing thing around um it really just kind of whatever the moment calls for you know i'll end up using Nice. A lot of a lot of a lot of palette knife smearing though. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So do you think so do you think you've learned more like after going to school? That like just on your own? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I I didn't even learn painting from school. I had to teach that to myself. Uh, uh -huh. Since it was an illustration class, I think later on they started to teach people oil painting. Uh, but I I dropped out before I got to that point. I also mm -hmm. dropped out before the business classes, which I actually <laughs> wish I had taken those instead. Yeah. Um, so after dropping out, I pretty much had to pick up and learn painting on my own. And so I definitely learned a lot more than I ever did it in school. Nice. And you said you were doing uh, like landscaping for for about a like 10 year period um yeah when did you and maybe maybe what was it if there were anything in particular that made you step away from that gig and just be like no nah, i can i can figure out how to do this just by making paintings um depression honestly <laughs> yeah I, I mean after it's hard work um and after a long time of uh doing landscaping you know day in day out i i there was even a period of time where i worked a second job at night so i would do landscaping during the day and then i worked at a movie theater at night and then somewhere in between i had to find time to paint um and it was just becoming more and more difficult mm -hmm. and I, I found myself uh drinking more than painting honestly Mm -hmm. And that that made it even worse. And about three years ago, I, it kind of came to a head where I just decided that I had to change something. This isn't the healthiest or most inspiring or it, it just wasn't working anymore. And I knew that something had to change significantly. Um, and so about three years ago, uh, my girlfriend, Grace, and I decided that we were just going to take a, our, whatever we had, stuff it into a car, whatever didn't fit, toss it out. And then we drove from Virginia all the way to California, you know, in search of something. And uh, in California, we ultimately found high rent prices. So <laughs> we ended up going to Texas after that, maybe trying Austin. And then essentially as like a last ditch, uh, we decided to go to Denver 
because uh, I knew a couple people there, no, none more than that. Uh, and so we went up there and tried to make it work. And thankfully, we're able just to eke by and get a place in Denver. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing like uh, like feeling bad and wanting to change it that'll that'll make you take action in that kind of a way. Yeah, it's misery is a great motivator. <laughs> yeah, sure. definitely, definitely. Um, so let's see. I want to. We'll just go through all these if, if that's cool. We can Hold me. make it quick. Let's see. And so this one, uh, I guess we could, we can talk about these next two in the context of the show you've got coming up in Denver. Um, on what what is it? May fourteenth, fifteenth. Yeah, May fifteenth. Nice at a uh, Ryan Joseph Gallery in Denver, Colorado. Yeah, yeah, very excited for super, that. Super excited for it. Yeah, Ryan's a great dude. Shout out to him and for. Uh, for making this happen and bringing you back around Denver. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I don't think I'd be able to, uh, be where I am today without Ryan, uh, Ryan Connell. Somehow we connected about five years ago and ever since we've been building a great friendship and business relationship together. Um, so definitely shout out to Ryan big time. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So this one's called Medusa. Yeah. And uh so tell me about this one. If you don't if if you feel like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh Medusa is uh part of the new series that I have coming up. Um the series itself is called Natura Naturans, uh which is based off of um a philo- philosophical concept by Spinoza. Uh basically him saying that the whole universe or multiverse or whatever is essentially out there is it comes in two modes. It comes in nature, naturing, like the motion of everything mm-hmm. and then nature natured, which is the outcome. So there's the process and then there's the outcome. And when I first learned about that concept, I honestly didn't even understand it. Um, and the more I, the more I thought about it, the more it started to, again, like click, yeah. um, because I, I was looking at a lot of Renaissance paintings at the time and a lot of the, uh, other than biblical paintings, a lot of them, there was like a revival in, uh, Greek art or the appreciation of Greek mythology at that time. And it took me a little while to really, um, figure out what the draw was for people to make paintings of Greek mythology, even, you know, hundreds of years after it was, you know, popular. What, and people were still actually uh, celebrating and worshiping these kind of ideas. And uh, I came across the ideas of Carl Jung. And he said that in the psyche of all humanity, there are these archetypes and these archetypes are essentially modes of God that are represented in people. Yeah. And then 
it started to make sense why people would talk about mythology. Um, and Medusa in particular was an interesting one to me because uh, something about her gaze could stop a man cold. Yeah. And when you think about that in the context of your life, I mean, I'm sure we've all had our experiences with people that, you know, just their gaze alone will stop us cold. Yeah. Um, and so I, taking that kind of inspiration, I started to play with it and uh, add my own uh, elements to it. And this is what came from it. Nice. Yeah, I see the gaze up there as like, uh, is kind of the kind of the focal point. But then yeah. it's you're, it's like you're blending the these the the gaze the gazer with the person she's gazing at, and you kind of have this um, kind of darkened profile. And but then, yeah, it definitely. Now that you explain it, it it definitely reads as kind of like being being stopped cold or turning into something other than a human i guess yeah it's like the, like being being infatuated like it's the only thing you can think about yeah you know so much so that it just takes over your head yeah yeah i really i'm really into to carl jung and the the collective unconscious and the archetypes i think that makes a lot of sense and um i really like the part about how he says that if you don't realize that these archetypal archetypical i guess um sort of mind psyche structures are present within you then you can become you can just act them out in a way that you're not even aware of yeah i always found like psychology super interesting um especially yeah, it, especially him yeah i think that's one of those things it's uh you know, when you talk about, you know, psychiatry along with psychology, it's when you, there's, in some cases, it feels like um, when these myths are out of control or these like aspects of yourself are out of control, it, it feels like you can't function. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the times I like to take these myths and break them apart and pit them against each other and, mm. you know, because ultimately, I think in modern day life, we're a conflicted people. The oh, yeah. modern modern humans are pulled every which direction all the time. Oh, and yeah. it feels like you can have overlapping mythologies fighting for your attention at any point, <laughs> you know, conflicting and contradicting and making your life into some sort of paradox that you can't understand anymore. Yeah. And you, you kind of have to... Re regroup, you know, mm. round up the cavalry. For sure. Yeah, I think part of the, the problem with that too is that we're just being like kind of lied to constantly by by everyone and everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so it's kind of hard to to make sense of the world and, you know, that leads to confusion, which, yeah, exactly. There's, and there is a lot of inherent paradox in reality for sure, but there's also uh, manipulators using massive technologies to convince us of things that aren't true. 
Um, yeah. Not to get too soapboxy or anything, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's a fact at this point. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and this is the last one. This one's called discord. Um, man, just, just go for it. Tell me, tell me about this painting. Uh, this one is inspired by, uh, a painting that I saw, I think it's in a museum in Chicago, Chicago school of art, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it's a painting of uh, Mars, or it was originally a painting of Mars, uh, essentially whipping Cupid. Um, yeah, he was kind of pissed off because uh, Cupid shot an arrow and hit Mars, and Mars ended up falling in love with, I think, I think Venus. Mm, uh, who was the Mars was the embodiment of war and Venus was the embodiment of love, I believe. And Mars was, I guess, so distraught by that, that he took out his anger on Cupid, even though Cupid being Cupid, he, he didn't know all that much better because he's always blind. He he can't see where he's shooting. He's just kind of directed. Um, So I, I thought that was, it's an interesting idea for, for Mars to be taking out his anger um, on something that on someone that ultimately gave him something beautiful or forced him into a beautiful situation. Yeah. Um, it actually reminds me of a song. I can't even remember what it was, but, uh, I think the line goes, uh, something like, I don't want to fall in love again, or I don't want to fall in love. Yeah. I forget who sings it. Um, but you know, everybody I'm sure has experienced that when you, end up out of a relationship and then after a while you're kind of on your own and then you feel the inklings again for somebody and you're like, Oh shit, here it goes again. Um, yeah, but it's, it's a fascinating archetype for sure. Yeah. It's almost like, um, war is preferable over the, you know, the pain of war is preferable over the pain of, uh, love or love lost. Yeah. Yeah, it's somehow, I guess, war makes more sense to to people. Hmm. Who knows why? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that that kind of thing is like biological. It has to be like. Yeah, I I think it's like it's a representation of the territorial nature of primates, most likely. Yeah. You know, when you have these two social or cultural bodies causing friction with each other it'd be similar to you know tribes or groups of monkeys banding together to (laughs) take over another square mile of the forest or something yeah yeah and if yeah if we're always living in a state of confusion it's probably hard harder to use our uh prefrontal cortex i would imagine i don't know it's just just spitballing over here Makes sense to me. <laughs> um, so yeah, thanks for sharing and and for going down that that lane with me. Uh, I know sometimes it can be, for me at least, um, kind of weird to talk about my paintings. Not weird, but uh, tedious maybe. So thanks yeah, for doing that. I get that. I mean, you know, you think about it constantly yeah. on your own time. Um, I think it's easier for me because I've had a good bit of removal from it because I made these paintings last year in preparation for the show 
the show was originally going to happen, I believe, in May of 2020. Mm. And then, of course, uh, the world decided to change without my permission. And uh, <laughs> as it does. Yeah. And so we, we've had to wait uh, until finally, finally this month we get to have the show. So I think I have that little bit of distance from it where I can kind of think of it afresh. Yeah, uh, yeah. For Exciting. sure. For sure. So, yeah, I notice again, just to take it back to the art history thing, I notice a lot of that in there. Do you have a particular like favorite period of art history that that you're drawn to? Uh, I love the Renaissance. I love the Baroque period. I think the Baroque is probably my favorite because it's kind of a, a blend of some of the fanci fanciful ideas of the Renaissance, but then there was a huge wave of realism that happened then. Mm -hmm. And so the works that were created during that time period are just mind-boggling and impressive you know mm -hmm. especially like nowadays when you're working on something you can use photoshop you can use a camera even yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can take reference right um you could use a projector if you wanted to you can use tape yeah uh, but somehow these people were uh so honed that they could make work that was astounding like that um, so that, that kind of is definitely a huge inspiration for me. Um, nice. So, yeah. Do you, do you have an artist from that time period that, that people might not know about, or maybe people do that, that would be a good, uh, supplement to, to maybe see where your work kind of pulls inspiration from? Uh, Ingra. Dominic Ingra or August Dominic Ingra. Let me write that down. Actually. How do you spell that? Let me look it up. <laughs> <laughs> nice. August. Uh, his, well, I know his last name is spelled I N G R E S. Oh, okay. Nice. Which I could even be mispronouncing it. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Jean August Dominic Ingra. Wow, and uh, you'll see. A lot, I've noticed a, a huge wave of um, contemporary artists recently referencing his work, and it's it's kind of fascinating to kind of notice when these um, these trends of people appreciating art history kind of coalesce. Because uh, I've noticed a lot of people referencing his paintings these days. Nice, nice. I have to check him out. I'll definitely put um, put links to his work in the show his, description, yeah, his for... Instagram, his social media, <laughs> <laughs> maybe just his Wikipedia or do they, you know, I, I just had a thought it would be cool to have like, just a, I'm sure there already is one and I, I'm just, uh, just am unaware of it, but is there like an art wiki, like an art history, Wikipedia, just solely dedicated for art. We need to get uh, on that. I wish. I mean, yeah. there's, there's wiki art. I think it's called, I never use yeah. it. I mean, I just always use, end up using Wikipedia anyways. For sure. For sure. Uh, there's bound to be something. I mean, there, there's so many, you know, ways to collect and find reference. Like yeah. all the museums, I think ever since, uh, 
Corona happened, they've started uploading high resolution images of their collections. Yeah. Which is, it's been a wellspring for me because I've just been collecting left and right. Oh, I could use this later. This is amazing. Yeah. And finding new people because of it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What's the coolest museum you've ever been to? Uh, I think my favorite has to be the Virginia Museum of Fine Art. Um, nice. They they have such a good collection there. Um, when I was going to school in Richmond, they actually added, put it on in addition to the old museum, and it became twice as big, twice as modern, twice as full of great art. And I used to go there constantly. I would go there all the time. Um, there was even a time period where I would go every single day uh, and go to a specific room where the abstract expressionists were. Mm-hmm. And there was a Rothko painting there. And I would stand in front of that painting for like an hour, at least every day. Really? And just kind of just look at it and wonder at it. Um, which was a, it was an interesting practice doing that because, you know, not only do you get to kind of meditate on the painting and try and figure it out, but you could also people watch too. And yeah. every once in a, every once in a while, you'll hear an offhand comment uh, from somebody, you know, a family, a tourist walking through, and they'll say, "Oh, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. I, I could do that. I could do that. My three-year-old could do that." Yeah. And yeah. so you sit and you look at the painting, and you hear these kind of whispers of opinions around you come and go, <laughs> and then the painting is still there, and you're still there trying to figure it out. Yeah, that's so. interesting. Like, whatever the critique is, to kind of summarize, the the piece of art still stands. You know, yeah, it's still there, and it may maybe maybe on a different level. Maybe your art isn't in like a museum or whatever, um, and maybe people don't get it or they think that they could have done it, but then again, why didn't they? Um, you know, whatever critique comes, it's like the fact that that was created is, is a fact and everything else is just opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a statement. Yeah. Uh, other, other than just an opinion. And I, and I think that's one of the things that a lot, that some people can uh, tend to forget when it comes to, especially things like the abstract expressionist movement and modern art in general mm-hmm. is that those are, artists that are expounding on a conversation that's been happening essentially since the beginning of time. Yeah. You know, they're, they're boiling down the recipe that's been uh, accumulating. And, you know, I think that the abstract expressionists were essentially kind of like the alchemists of the art world, you know, trying to figure out with as few ingredients as possible, how do I make gold? You know, how do I make something that will uh, really stop somebody and make them wonder? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. They, uh, I think that I've kind of changed my thinking on on them in particular, you know, over the last 10 years or so. Um, You know, I used to be one of those people being like, I could have done that, you know, or whatever it is, whatever opinion comes up. But I think that they, they gave permission for people to just 
fucking go for it, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And like without without them, you wouldn't have again getting back to this cause and effect thing, you wouldn't I don't think you would have like people who were just self taught artists in a way. Because yeah. it they're like being real free and sort of deconstructing what it means to uh to paint and yeah it's also kind of like the opinions of people they're coming in like they're like a child who wanders into the middle of a movie or or whatever you know and they <laughs> and they, <Yeah. laughs> they uh they don't understand the full context of of the conversation leading up to that point and they just see this little snippet of the art history conversation and they and they're like what 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 does that mean you know yeah which i guess is understandable but it's also like maybe sit and listen for a second watch watch for a minute and you'll start to kind of like get it i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that um whenever you hear any news or conversation about the pieces generally it's about the price it's about the price tag yeah and that can i feel like that can really negatively taint um the original intent uh of all these paintings because you know then what ultimately comes to mind instead of trying to parse whatever the painting is is this was 20 million dollars <laughs> <laughs> you know and yeah when, yeah and when you start off with that then it's just gonna lead to disappointment yeah for um, sure but then that's a whole different conversation because you know those paintings a lot of them didn't even really originally sell for that much it's just because of the the market doing the, what it does yeah the secondary art market yeah done uh, done done <laughs> have you looked into uh okay so i i gotta bring this up because um i just feel compelled to but have you looked into uh nfts and all that all that jazz i have yeah um and i feel like i have an an account set up on every single one of them but i haven't i haven't taken the i haven't dived in yet i haven't taken the first step for sure i I think in the beginning i was kind of waiting because uh there was so much hype. Uh, I think it's kind of quieting down now and I'm thinking about actually making a move into that, but I think it's super exciting. I think NFTs are, you know, what, however you feel about the hype. I mean, it's the same thing as we were just saying with the first thing you think about it is price tag. Right. Uh, like what an artist made this much money off of this and, you know, and it, I think it can be really lucrative for artists, um, but the technology behind it, I think, is going to be beneficial for things way beyond art. Yeah, ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like the ownership of like a house or even a car or whatever will eventually just be on chain yeah. and verified that way as like a one of one token. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, for anybody who's into collecting anything, it could be Pokemon cards, you know, whatever yeah. it is. I think all that stuff will eventually be digitized and verified through this this new technology. Um, Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I haven't I haven't actually jumped in with any like 
actual images yet either. Um, I minted a podcast episode as an NFT, just as an experiment. Oh wow! Yeah, how'd that um, go? How was how did the, how'd the process go? Um, so I interviewed Allie Grimm, um, and she while we were talking, it was all about NFTs. So it was like this meta thing, you know. The whole idea was to make it like so meta that hopefully someone would get it and uh, buy it. Still available, by the way, for anyone listening. Um, nice. So while we were talking, we had the screen share up and she was uh, remixing the podcast logo like all while we were talking over like, you know, an hour or so or more. Yeah. And uh, so you got the the animated MP4 of that remix and then the unlockable content is the actual audio video um, episode. That's awesome. Yeah, I figured, you know, it's pretty I thought it was just like it was just like a stoned idea I had one night because I was like, okay, we need to do a podcast about NFTs. And then I was like, what if the podcast was an NFT? And <laughs> everyone listening to this, uh, who listens every week, I know you've probably seen that episode and heard me talk about it like a couple times now. So um I'll move on. But yeah, I just wanted to uh to to share that. Um but yeah, I haven't I haven't done any any visual pieces yet because it feels like like you were saying like I did kind of want the dust to settle a little bit. Yeah. Just to be sure like what I was getting into. And Yeah, and I I feel like I'm partially waiting for uh other coins to, you know, start their NFT ecosystems too. Um Partially because the Ethereum gas prices are all out of control. For sure. Um, and there, are, I feel like there are a few um, platforms or ecosystems that are starting to do it. I know Binance is. Uh, I'm looking forward to Cardano doing it. Yeah. Right. Have, have, you heard of, have you heard of Tezos? I have, yeah. Yeah, they... They're doing it and they're using um, proof of stake, which is like such a fraction of the energy consumption yeah. that uh, that's that's going on. And so you can you can go to platforms like Hick at Nunk, which is hard to say, and I know it's a Latin <laughs> thing because the et in the middle is is and in Latin, but haven't actually done the research as to what the other two words mean. And then uh, Calament.io uh, for anyone listening. And uh, yeah, I, w- I want to like promote that for the people who are really raging against artists um, who, you know, they're like condemning them for minting NFTs because of the ecological impact. And so um, just putting that out as a little PSA for anybody interested. Yeah. Yeah, I have heard some crazy statistics or numbers. Uh, I think there was an artist that said the cost of electricity for their studio for an entire year was equal to the um, the input that was needed for minting two or three NFTs or something like that. I don't know yeah. how true that is or who said that, but that's yeah. one of the whispers I heard. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'd love to see some like solid numbers and solid studies done on that before i yeah form an opinion 
Um, thankfully, thankfully, Ethereum is supposed to be moving towards proof of stake uh, right. later this year, For and that's sure. gonna that's gonna make it way easier, uh, way way less impacting. Um, so I'm really hopeful for that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's very exciting. And I just, you know, I think I've brought it up for the last like 10 episodes or something. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, it's impressive technology that, uh, I've, I've been looking into cryptocurrency in general a lot recently. Mm -hmm. And once you get beyond the, the shock in awe of the prices and how they fluctuate and you actually look at the technology that it's all supporting it's incredible yeah. I, I think it's going to change the world the same way that the internet did if not even more yeah um yeah hopefully better too um because you know you you remember the internet in the kind of the early days i'm sure it was it's a lot different than it is now you know They've kind of, you know, aggregated uh, attention and resources and power, just like it seems like happens a lot, you know. And But yeah. I think the exciting thing about crypto for me is the ideology behind it. It's, um, it's basically like sovereign individuals with sovereign financial digital fortresses that can't be compelled to do one thing or another by force. So yeah. here for it, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. I agree 1000%. I think that's honestly, I think it's kind of inspiring. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the past few few years have been really, uh, I I would find a lot of people hard pressed to find the last few years inspiring in any way. Yeah. Um, and it kind of feels like a breath of fresh air. Uh, like all, all of the, uh, possibilities are you know they they really make me feel hopeful for the future honestly yeah. which you know sounds a lot there's a lot of people that will hear the word cryptocurrency and immediately turn off <laughs> uh, because i think it has a, a little bit of a stigma with it um mm-hmm. but i i'm really hopeful for it for sure yeah same here same here i think that some of the stigma comes from like people who have vested interests in keeping the, you know, regular status quo system going. Yeah. And, uh, and mixed with people's general anxiety about new stuff or change or technology. Yeah. And, uh, or, yeah. or a change to how they value things, because I think that's one of the big aspects and something that I struggle with a lot personally is, is value or values in general, mm-hmm. um, how I value something, how I value my own work, how I'm willing to sell my work, how I'm willing to present my work, you know, all those things kind of affect the value. Um, and this is a revolutionary change to what the, what the word value really means. Um, and I think, uh, values in general have just been kind of debased for yeah. years and years. Um, so it's, it's been an interesting, uh, kind of evolution of that. Uh, I don't know. Value is a super hard thing to really figure out when it comes to art. Yeah. And, uh, in general, yeah, you can, I mean, you can think about it in so many ways, right? Uh, even just the, 
the dark to light scale of values when you're painting, you know, and, and how, you know, I mean, rules are meant to be broken, but like how you kind of structure your painting and build it up into lighter and lighter values. Um, yeah, I've, I've kind of like had little fleeting thoughts about that, that I obviously haven't articulated very well yet. Um, while painting. Um, but yeah, I think values is such a, a, a tough concept because it means so many different things. There's yeah. like, I, I think a lot of it is because, um, you know, when you think of value monetarily it feels like a shell that's kind of surrounding the artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways it feels like a distraction, uh, but, you know, as an artist, the interesting values, like you were saying, from dark to light or, you know, the various um, boundaries and measurements within the painting, you know, measurement of space, um, you know, breaking the inherent value of those measurements uh, to make a point. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are super fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that even made sense. I feel like I just said word salad, (laughs) but I mean, it made sense to me. Uh, That, that just makes me think of, of like, yeah, there's like this, we use like money as kind of a proxy for, for what like value really means. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's an exchange tool. It's, you know, you're exchange, essentially you're exchanging uh, your energy with another mm-hmm. entity. Yeah. Um, and when it comes, that, that can take in many different forms. And there's a similar kind of transaction that happens, I feel like, when you look at artwork and, you know, we essentially have to put a value at the end of it. It's like, oh, this exchange is worth $1,000, $2,000. This transaction that's happening here uh, through this artwork, this kind of portal or exchange or transaction or yeah yeah and the only reason money is is used that way in that energetic way for like a proxy of of what we want um is because we all agree on it and that's what crypto is challenging you know yeah and yeah it'd be like if you know you did a painting in a totally different way just to see what happened. And then you got this way better result and you're like, Oh, Hmm. Hmm. Was I, am I on to something? And that's kind of how I, you know, sort of see the parallels between, uh, between cryptocurrency and, uh, and artwork. I'm sure there's many other ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's got a kind of technological grammar to it. Cryptocurrency. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, when you kind of de- debase a value, the grammar becomes super basic and, uh, unfulfilling. Hmm. Um, but like the more uses you can get from it, the, the more intricate ways that you can exchange your energy that create a positive outcome on your life. Uh, you know, why not pursue that and, you know, create ecosystems that foster that yeah Uh, yeah glad to hear that you're 
you're on board too. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I think I think some of this is happenstance, but I think that some artists are just just turned off by it, and I honestly don't know why. I think uh, it. I think being an artist, I, this is something I've struggled with forever: is mm-hmm. uh, hating money. <laughs> 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 it's kind of hard to yes. make a living if you just hate money. Yeah, yeah, you or know? don't care about it, you know? Yeah. That's sort of... I mean, I, it's... Yeah. I feel you, man. Like, I I find myself in that space a lot. I wish, you know, but maybe that's, maybe that's why I'm so drawn to crypto because I'm like, ooh, I like money now. This is cool. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. th- it just made it cool for me and... And, and I don't know where it was. It was probably somewhere in my um, childhood or something where, you know, whatever idea rooted, like took root in my brain about, you know, maybe I heard someone say money is the root of all evil or whatever. And yeah. it's just been, you know, I've just been recovering from that ever since. And, uh, and yeah, I think that's, that's a, that's a good reason to, to be on some cryptocurrencies, you know? Yeah. I mean, at least that money's useful. Mm-hmm. Paper money's not, not useful, useful for anything, honestly. For, yeah. Um, so yeah, speaking of all this technology, um, where do you see the future of like analog painting? Do you think humans will continue to paint with all the new, uh, fun gadgets that are, uh, coming out? Uh, it's hard to say it's hard to predict uh i don't know every year i feel more and more like a dinosaur for using paint yeah um and it's got me wondering like i I recently just got a wacom or a wacom tablet Mm -hmm. so i could start doing digital stuff partly because of nfts i wanted to make digital work for that and Mm -hmm. so messing with all these new programs and getting the feel for the pen and seeing the possibilities and you know how easy it is to use it in the sense that you don't have to set up the paint you don't have to clean your brushes off you don't have to like try and keep things from drying too fast or you know lasting too long or staying open too long um and then when you bring in things like vr uh augmented reality at I'm super excited to see what uh, young artists do with it or old artists or anybody. I think yeah. it's, it could be revolutionary, but as far as painting goes, uh, I don't know. It, you know, it's kind of like people saying rock and roll is dead. You know, if you say painting's dead, which, mm. you know, people have been saying that for decades now. Yeah. And you still see amazing new things crop up every day. For sure. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know. What do you think? yeah i guess it i guess it sort of depends but um i mean painting has been around for so long man like it's one of the first things that we know that humans did you know yeah and you know they're drawing little pictographs on caves or on you know desert walls or whatever i think there'll there'll always be room for it it's just kind of i see it like um how music did this thing over the past 30 years or so going from analog to more like electronic and digital. Like, you know, there's room for 
uh, tipper. And then there's also room for like fleet foxes. You know what I mean? And so I think there'll always be a space for it. I just, you know, it might wane in, in popularity. And, and of course this is using a limited time frame, maybe somewhere far out into the future. It'll all be virtual reality building and, and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm super excited about it. I think that that, that part about, uh, the digital art and the NFT world is so super fascinating to me because you can literally, I mean, you can literally build a world. (laughs) It's, you know, it's super cool and you could, you can show people what you mean. You can be even more dialed in to, to meaning, you know, and you can rotate your idea or object to be like, okay, now look at it from this side and it looks a little different. Yeah. I think it's, that's an interesting uh, thing in particular, because I think it's uh, like since the beginning of the uh, 20th century and even a little bit before that with the impressionists artists were starting to kind of question the grammar of painting and art in general. Um, They started to question why things had to be so rigid. They started to question why things had to just be from like one angle. You know, you have cubism where it's just the representation of an object, but it's from different angles all over the place. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of progresses. And then when you think about, you know, art that's made digitally or virtually, it's people that are still questioning those same things. They're saying, why do the dimensions have to just be this way? You know, why why does it, our viewpoint have to, or our perspective or the colors or, you know, whatever, like it's the next step in the evolution of the grammar of art making, um, which is, I think it just, it was bound to happen. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that like one of the big drivers of technology is, uh, is creating things and like for other people to be, uh, either captivated by or entertained by. And I mean, I think it's an awesome thing. Um, when you can go inside of a, a, a goggle headset and just be immersed in this world. I mean, it's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it also, it also makes me think like going back to the, the music parallel, um, like the interesting thing with, uh, like folk music, folk was really popular at a certain point in time because it was easier for the common person to do. Um, you know, all you would really need is maybe a guitar and yeah. your vocal cords and that was it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of progressed over time. Um, to like the eighties and nineties when hip hop started being a thing and all you really needed was a way to record some samples and a microphone. Yeah. And then you keep going and it gets to the point where, well, mm-hmm. you just need your computer and you need Fruity Loops or Ableton or something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and it, similarly with artwork, you know, when you start drawing your bison in the cave, all you need is, a uh, some charcoal on the, on the end of a stick and you draw. And then now we have a new kind of evolution to a, a folk way of making art is that, you know, everybody's got a phone or a computer 
and there's apps on there and you can just download them and you can start making your own art. And it's got all of these capabilities built in. Um, mm -hmm. The learning curve is different than if you were to just give a person or make somebody go and pick up oil paint and yeah. spend hundreds of dollars on oil paint yeah. and, you know, get the setup and ventilation and, you know, all this <laughs> other stuff, you know, yeah. like spray, spray paint, graffiti, like yeah. that's essentially kind of like a folk art. Um, that's yeah. such a great point. Yeah. Like the barrier to entry is, it has become like a lot lower in a sense, you know, and it, in a, you made the interesting point that it kind of like circled back because from charcoal drawing, uh, you know, in, uh, in caves to all you needed was some burnt firewood and just go at it. Um, and then if you progress and, and look at, I'm not as familiar with like Eastern art history, but if you look at Western art history, you sort of had to be in a school or a, a you know, a wealthy person's son or whatever to, to even get a crack at it. I mean, I think Leonardo yeah. da Vinci was a pretty cool exception to that. Cause he was like, he was like a bastard son of a, a noble person. So he didn't get the full, like, no, no, you can do whatever you want. But, um, my point is that like, you know, we've come back around sort of past the middleman now. And I think that that's, what's really interesting about this technology and about, um, uh, NFTs as well, is that you don't need the degree from the Chicago art Institute or, or wherever, you know, to get yeah. your work out there and to make really cool shit. Yeah, definitely. You don't have to, you don't need the middleman anymore. Mm -hmm. Just, just need yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's more um, inspiring than that? Not much. I mean, after so long of, of all that, uh, I think it's very, uh, very inspiring. Um, yeah. so is there anything you dislike about the art world? Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of anything. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Uh, what, what did you, did you have anything that you were thinking well, of? Well, um, we were just talking about middlemen and stuff. And, um, uh, I think it's sometimes I, uh, frame this question differently in saying what's like a brutal fact about being an artist, um, that people might not know about. Uh, it's failure happens constantly. Yeah. All the time. It's one of those professions where you have to expect to fail you know, every, possibly every single day <laughs> yeah. in some ways. Yeah. Um, and it, it can be very brutal, but the reason why it is that brutal is because it's honest. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a form of work that always lets you know uh, how successful you are being and attaining your goals. Um, right. So, yeah, I would say just the, the fact that it can be brutal all the time and you will yeah. fail. Yeah, dude, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. 
And that's, I think that that's why like, like being an artist, part of that is, is just knowing how to move past the like frustration of failure and, and getting to a place where you can be pretty stoic about it and just being like, okay, that was a learning experience on to the next thing. Yeah. I talked to a, a high school art class, I think about a month ago. And I was trying to come up with things to tell them because, you know, I was coming at it from this perspective of a professional artist. Uh, But I was also trying to remember what it was like when I was making art when I was in high school and how I felt about it and um, taking into account the self-confidence or the lack of self-confidence that I had with my work. Mm -hmm. And when I was trying to think of advice to give them, like the one thing that I could think of is don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. Like I can imagine there's so many things like when you're younger that it's easy to be hard on yourself, but when it comes to creative things, you know, if you beat yourself up all the time, uh, it's just going to make it that much more difficult. It's going to make it that much more painful. Um, yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause there's the, there's the failure, right. And that hurts. But then like, you add these like layers of, of your own bullshit on top of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you're, you know, you just, for no reason or for whatever reason, some sort of cause and effect that reaches so far back into either your life or the life of, you know, whoever came before you, you're like just self-flagellating and you're like, Oh, I'm so bad. Oh, and, and I think a lot of a lot of people feel like as artists you're supposed to do that. Mm. That that you're supposed to have uh you know questionable stability. <laughs> and I, I think that's be, I think that's because uh because it's so brutal and but and it's so easy to be unstable. Yeah. Uh that it just becomes part of the persona of artists. Mm. Um and I kind of wish that wasn't the case. I kind of wish the idea of the starving artist or the, uh, you know, the mentally unstable artist or the, you know, just train wreck tornado of an artist wasn't <laughs> such a thing. Cause I don't think I would have adopted those characteristics as much when I was younger. If yeah, it wasn't for, for sure. If it was a more healthy, uh, way of looking at it. Well, and I think when you're young too, you're searching for kind, you're searching for a persona, right? Like yeah. Oh, as yeah. you get older, I, I think for me at least, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, but I think you, you get a little more knowledgeable about yourself. You're, you're just like, oh, I'm just kind of this dude who has this list of uh, ec- eccentric uh, qualities or whatever, but I'm yeah. more or less just like, you know, a normal person and maybe you're not, you know, and that's fine too. But, uh, um, yeah, I think like being young, you're, you're like, who am I? You know? (laughs) Yeah. It's like at the beginning of our conversation, when we're talking about, uh, when I was young and experimenting with the boundaries. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that those boundaries, the boundaries that you push past, Mm-hmm. that's what makes your personality ultimately. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And even the boundary of this sort of prepackaged persona 
the society yeah. or whoever gives you about what it means to be an artist or a plumber or a speaker or you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that can be seen as like a boundary too, or a mold, maybe a mold to, to break. Yeah. Cause there's yeah, no... I was listening, I was listening to one of your podcasts from before and I, I heard uh, you talking about the question of uh, free will. Yeah. And I think that plays a big role into free will because, um, you know, there are so many molds that you can easily fit in, but I don't think there's a mold for free will. Okay. Um, when it, like a person has the opportunity to break free from whatever's inevitable mm-hmm. and that breaking free from what is inevitable I think would be free will. Hmm. Yeah. I've, um, I think there's a paradox between free will and, uh, and cause and effect. Um, cause I mean, it definitely feels like, like, okay, we definitely have will, right? There's no question yeah. about that, but we don't get to choose, um, our parents, or our, I don't think we really get to choose our personality. There's plenty of psychological literature on that and how you more or less come preloaded. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, kind of like going back to the Carl Jung and the psyche and the archetypes yeah. and stuff. I mean, that that's a, that makes a similar case. Yeah. For sure. Um, so what I think there is more or less is there's there's knowledge and the um and the courage to use that knowledge and memory to even remember to use that knowledge in every situation yeah right and it, yeah I, I think it is it is more or less cause and effect but that like if you can remember that you have willpower that's the most important thing and you you can have freedom from certain things. I just don't think that like, like decision-making is based on so many factors that it becomes confounding to the point where like a singular self couldn't possibly be aware, one, aware of all those factors, and two, in the moment of making a decision, um, analyze all those factors. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, th- I think there's a paradox there. Um, and, uh, and, and I think it really like rustles people's jimmies when I say I don't believe in free will or like when it comes <laughs> up. Um, yeah. cause nearly like every, everything we care about is tied to it. Right. Like, morals and just values even getting back to what we were talking about earlier so i mean but there's 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 frameworks that are so uh embedded yeah uh, that it that like when when i was thinking about it earlier thinking about free will uh the only really good thing that i could think of was just fighting against the idea of not having free will. Exactly. That, that, that's what free will would be. 
you know, because <laughs> there's so many other things. Right. Uh, I don't know. That was the only thing I could even come up with. Right. Well, it. I, I think it. It definitely like on the surface is bothersome to like feel like. Well, if we get rid rid of free will, what does that mean? Does that mean we have no control over our lives? And it's like that's definitely not what I think. It's just it, it's maybe it's even more just semantical or something. And I'm just a you know want to feel like I'm smart, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it it, it it's it's definitely scary because I think we just sort of take it for granted or don't even don't even uh, investigate it. Uh, a lot of times, but, um, I think it, it actually allows us for more empathy, right? Like, yeah, because it's so circumstantial with what your, what kind of ideas and time and place and genetics and, uh, you know, friends that you'll make throughout your life. That's all just happenstance. And like, you know, you, you see someone being dumb on the internet and you're like, you click on their profile and you're like, oh yeah, Mississippi or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> or, you know, it, it could be like me and uh, on the reverse of that. And they're like, oh, some hippie dude from Colorado. Of course he would think like that. But right. that gives you like a little more empathy, right? And it, it, uh, it removes like the justification for just hating someone because you think that they had the free will choice to be like, I'm going to make myself into this person, you know? And, yeah. it's, and it's like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be born to these parents in, <laughs> exactly, uh, in this place. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's exactly that, that level of, uh, if you think about it, it, it's kind of that ridiculous, you know, to, to grant someone that agency and even yourself, you know? So like yeah. you can't you can't even claim that you're a fully safe uh, self-made person like I always think that's hilarious when people say that like I'm a self-made man. You know it's like <laughs> it's like okay you're not just like uh, you know in this wave of cause and effect that like we're all caught up in from the big bang or whatever you want to call it to now. <laughs> so yeah i mean i could man you uh thanks for bringing that up because you let me uh just ramble for a minute yeah but, i mean i i was listening to that before and i was just like ah oh, I, I would really love to hear more about your thoughts on it so thanks for sharing that with me yeah absolutely absolutely and i definitely am just like to even prove my point further i'm i hadn't even thought about free will until i heard about it pretty recently you know i guess i just sort of assumed that we all had it and you know whatever <laughs> yeah but it was it was laid out in an argument like like pretty well and so i'm basically just like spreading the gospel <laughs> so to speak um, that's cool but yeah thanks man appreciate that thanks for listening Absolutely. too by the way yeah that's what I'm here for. Um, so let's see. I think we can uh, kind of get to wrapping this up. Um, I'll ask you a couple more questions. Um, where do you see 
your art in the next like five years? Do you have any dream projects you think about or? Um, I don't know. Mm. I have no idea. Uh, I'm, I'm planning all the time. I, sometimes I feel like I have a good grasp on it. And then some days I feel like I don't know what I'm going to do next. Mm -hmm. or I don't even know what I'm going to do today. Right. Yeah. Um, as far as goals, I honestly, my goal now is to, uh, work on a painting for as long as I possibly can. Yeah. I've kind of been caught up in this, this high turnover rate for a while and I'm trying to uh, make things into a, you know, such a way where I can make a huge painting and take forever on it. Nice. Um, but as far as, I don't, I don't know. I don't plan on building any monuments or <laughs> doing the world's biggest, uh, sculpture with toothpicks anytime soon. So I don't know. <laughs> nice. Well, sweet. Thanks for that super honest answer. Um, sometimes I, I know that question can kind of like elicit some like grand, grand answers every now and then. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm constantly trying to evolve and, and do stuff like that, but for sure. you know, there's also a characteristic about me where I get bored of things that I'm working on super easily. Yeah. And so to, I don't know, I know it's just a, it's a me thing, but you know, to, if I came up with an idea that I would do in five years, I would be bored of it before I got there. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know? I feel that that's such a good way to put it. Like if you plan it, I'm kind of the same way. Like spontaneity for me is, I mean, like we were talking about earlier, it's good to have some kind of structure there in case your day sucks and you're just like, I'm not feeling it, but at least I have this thing that I can fall back on. But yeah. I think the spontaneity of it all is, is, I mean, it's so crucial in, in my, you know, my precious little... <laughs> conception of what <laughs> what painting or creativity is you know yeah that's such a good way to put it um and i think uh i think that's as good a place as any to end let's let's touch back on uh your solo show coming up right on uh well i've got my solo show natura naturans uh the opening is going to be on may 15th uh at 5 p.m., I think. Um, yeah, Sweet. it's Ryan Joseph Gallery in Denver, Colorado. I'm going to be giving a talk there from 5 to 6. Nice. And I'll probably ramble about similar things as today. So Sweet. Um, if anybody wants to go see that, then I'll be there. Oh, I'll be there. And I'll, uh, I'll, um, I think we'll release this podcast like the week before. So, next week next not this monday coming up but the one after that so okay. it'll awesome so hopefully uh if you're listening to this right now and you're in denver i know some of you are uh come out to that show and um you can find andrew at what is it at just andrew davis art on instagram yep on everything 
Nice. I, I, I colonized all the Andrew Davis arts and on the internet. <laughs> Very nice. Well, sweet. Thank you so much again, man. And, uh, hope Absolutely. You have a good one. thanks for having me. Yep. Yeah. You too. Peace. <laughs>